good morning. Everybody looks lovely today. Have, have you been enjoying not living in Seattle this last week? <laughs> um, I didn't, I don't know, this has this been the wettest year ever. I was, I was golfing in a missions tournament uh, this week at the Broadmoor, and um, I, I'm, I'm just sweating like crazy. It's like 85 degrees, and I am dying. And I mentioned to the guys, there was three other guys on the team, and I mentioned, I said, guys, this is way, way humid for us. This is, it's been raining nonstop for like a month and a half, two months. I don't even know what to do. And they just kind of looked at me for a minute. Two of them were from Texas, one was from Florida. (coughs) (laughs) And they both, all three of them were like, feels pretty good to us. Not too bad at all, but. Um, So this tonight is, the Chosen is going to be shown as Stan stands here. Stan, why don't you stand? Stan, Stan, Stan. Stan is in this, in this show tonight. <clears throat> what? You are. Now, he's amen, amongst about uh, 40,000 other people. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Uh, it's, a, it's a Where's Waldo moment. And uh, if, you can, if you can spot Stan, circle your TV right there where his face, put a marker, and, and Stan will give you $10. So, uh, so July 19th, a uh, week after this week, we are going to have, here at the church, we're going to have um, like a meeting, a little seminar kind of thing. For anybody here that is interested in, in any way getting involved in, in um politics or getting more involved in your community and these kind of things. Even if you say, well, I'm not really a a political, I don't want to necessarily get involved in politics, but I'd like to know more about the bigger picture and the system and how everything works. We've got a guy that's going to come show us this kind of stuff and then then give you the opportunity if you're thinking about getting involved at any level. And and Colorado's a very unique state with this. It's not just primaries election. We have all of the other stuff. Uh, We have the, the caucuses and delegates and all this other stuff. So, so you might think about it, and, um, and if, if, at the very least, use it as an opportunity to educate yourself. So um, that'll be uh, July 19th. You'll see a little bit more information about it. And then <clears throat> one other thing that we're, we're going to start next week, although it's, it's not like I'm, we're starting something specific, but, but I need you involved. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to be looking over the next few months after this, we're going to be looking at uh, telling people about Jesus and, and how do we do that and everything. Uh, we're going to send out a, a, a survey to everybody that's on our email, that's part of the church on our email list, and ask the question, a, a few questions, but basically the question is about witnessing. Why do you witness or why do you not witness? What are the, what are the, um, what are like the, um, the reasons that you would and the pitfalls, the things that you would find uh, would hinder you from witnessing to somebody? We want to we hear that. From you, we have a 30-day window to do that. This is an on- online thing that we're doing with um, a guy named uh, David Shaw at, at Every Home for Christ. He's going to be helping us with this. And, and then after that, we've got some other stuff. But we want to know. We want to try to figure out what are, what are some of the reasons either we're witnessing or we're not witnessing or whatever the case is. And, uh, and it's p- purely anonymous. Nobody w- we will know the answers, but we won't know who gave the answers. Okay, so if you said something like, I don't witness because I hate my pastor... I'm not going to know who wrote that. I will preach about it later, but I, I won't know who wrote that. So, um, so, but the reason I'm saying all this is we need your email address. If you want to participate in this, we need your email address. 
And I would really like your input. I'd really like to know what's going on. I'd really like to see some of this information. I think it would be beneficial for all of us um, as we do that. So make sure we have your email address. Here's how you know. If you're getting emails from us, we have your email address. Write that down in case that's elusive to you. <laughs> so, um, oh, I did want to mention from the fireworks stand finished up last Sunday. Um, we, we more than doubled our highest ever fireworks that we ever had. <clears throat> this, was, this was a straight. Now, it was, it was busy. It was busy nonstop in ways that I've never seen uh, that we've done. But we, our ministries in our church, so all the different departments in our church are the ones that get uh, that money and do all this stuff with that. The ministries in our church um, got somewhere around $100,000 from this. We're, we're very close to $100,000. That's, that's amazing. I didn't know. We should have done it all for the building fund. Forget the departments. <laughs> we should have. No, I don't have any information about that, and I don't want to talk about it this week. So, <clears throat> um, so this, this morning, I want to, I want to address something. I think, I, I think we all know this. I would hope we would all know this, but to really process what this means for us individually, this concept of, of what is love. Now I'm, I'm not answering that question this morning. In fact, I don't think that that's really a, an answerable question, except if you say the answer to the question is God is love. If you say that, that is a correct answer. But when we process the question, what is love, I don't think we process that um, usually. But to, to think through what is love, and, and, and I, I really believe that most people, well, I think this is a core common thing with everybody. I think we all want to know what love is. We, we all have that desire. I want to know what love is. And I want you to... Okay, so... All right. Now it's in your head, isn't it? It's in your head. So, um, so I, I do. I want to know what love is, and I want to know what love is more every day. I, I, th this thing that, that, that we call love is such an elusive thing. It's an interesting thing. And, and I do think that is the desire. I was, I was thinking about this. I went and watched um, uh, the latest Marvel movie Friday, um, uh, Black Widow. And, um, and, and you know, it's... There is a part of me that's like, they're, it's, they're all kind of starting to feel the same now. Is anybody else feeling that? But, but here's the thing with this is right in the middle of the movie, they have to stop and have these emotional moments. Why? You've got the explosions. You've got the guns. You've got amazing fights. Why do you have to stop and talk about relationships? And commitment and family. This one's very strongly about family. It's got that whole thing in there. And, and, uh, and, and I've, I've done this all my life. It just irritates me. You've got a great movie. You've got something moving along. And I always give my wife and my daughter a hard time because right in the middle of it, like nuclear explosions, all kinds of things going on, and, and two people will stop and start discussing life and loving each other and holding each other's hand, a tear, and maybe, a, and then they start leaning in for the kiss, and you're like, and I've always, I've always told my wife and my daughter, why do we have to do this? And they both, all the time, go, shut up. They're about to kiss. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the only reason they went was for that moment. Everything else was just background noise to them. 
And I was, that's the, that's the distracting part to me. Why do you have to do that? But this idea of being loved, if society gets this. You think about, just take, just take, just pick a year and take all the movies made in that year and, and see how much is about relationship and commitment and love and uh, surrendering to each other, all this kind of, it's, it's even in the, even in the non-rom-coms, um, they're still flooded with this stuff. Because why? It's a, it's a foundational thing for us. God created us to be loved, and God created us to love. And then the world tries to take that and twist it and pervert it and make it something that it's not supposed to be. Because he knows that's one of the key things. It's one of the key things in our existence. So here's the next question is, can I be loved? <clears throat> I don't, I'm not saying that for you about me. I'm saying I ask the question, you ask the question. <laughs> okay. I need you to love me. That is not, the, that is not where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, like I told Sergio this morning, Sergio story. I told Sergio this morning, and he, he put his arm around, he picks something up, and he says, I'm not trying to hug me. And I said, Sergio, I don't mind if you hug me as long as you don't touch me. <laughs> you can hug me all day long. Just don't touch, my, actually touch me while you're hugging me. So um, th- this is the thing. Can I be loved? This is, the, this is a question that... that major <laughs> major parts of uh, was that the Lord? Major parts of society are, are asking. See, here's the thing. The next question is, can I love? The first question is, can I be loved? The second question is, can I love? And here's the thing. I don't think most people ask both those questions. I think one of them, they kind of get. The other one, they don't. I, I, I know on a personal level, my my, my my psyche, the way I'm processing, leans one way or the other. It's not usually both in that context. Can I be loved, and then can I love? And, and what does that truly mean? I want to show you some video clips. And, and um, <clears throat> these, uh, I, I think I mentioned this about a month plus ago, uh, but, but this has been very heavy on my heart. And this is some videos by a guy named Dennis Prager. And, and uh, I really greatly respect Dennis Prager. I think he's an amazing guy. I think he's a solid, solid um, moral man. I think he's a, con- a solid conservative. He's wise. He, he, just, he just brings a lot to the table anytime he says stuff. And, and uh, I watch every single thing he's ever produced in, in all the genres except the new children's genre they're producing, and I don't really care about that. But, but the, I, I like the guy. And this is one of his fireside chats, and this is not what the chat's about. It's about something totally different. And at the end, <clears throat> he takes questions, and, and somebody asks him about love and commitment. And I don't even think they use the term unconditional love, but he begins about a 15 to 20-minute rant about unconditional love. And this is the part that hurts me for him, because I think he's such an amazing guy, is he does not believe in the concept of unconditional love. In fact, he's anti-unconditional love. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I've just spliced a few things together here of quite a bit to, to try to, to, to help you see how he's saying this, because I think this is an important starting point for all of us when it comes to how we look at love and how others out there will maybe looking at the exact same thing. So go ahead. I don't even think Christians should believe in unconditional love. I don't, I don't know what the biblical basis of it is. I don't know what the logical basis of it is. I don't know what the moral basis of it is. If, if love is given unconditionally, then love has been removed from moral considerations. 
it has become the only amoral act in life. That's what you're saying. It, there's no moral quality to love. No matter how despicable, cruel, vile you are, I love you just as much as I love the kind. That means love has no moral quality to it. It's bizarre to me. Just bizarre. You really think it's an ideal to love torturers as much as, 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 as Mother Teresa? I, I, I don't get it. And I mean it, I don't get it. It's not a matter of hyperbole or rhetorical device. I don't get it. It is better to love the kind. It's a moral ideal to love the kind. That's my belief. What, uh, to me, the idea that God is in heaven and is sort of like an air conditioner. Air conditioners are amoral, right? They condition the room if a Hitler walks in, and they condition the room if a Mother Teresa walks in, correct? Right. So that is how people who speak of God's unconditional love, to me, are speaking about God. He just blows his love onto everybody equally. It is irrelevant how people treat other people. I don't know where that's... Now, what people... The joke is, as America got more secular, it spoke more about unconditional love. Not as it got more religious. When America was much more religious in the beginning of the 20th century, people didn't talk about unconditional love. So, so much for those of you who are religious and think it's a religious idea, unconditional love. Unconditional love is a secular idea that I utterly reject. And it's a religious idea that I utterly reject. Now, I don't, know, I don't know exactly how God figures out whom he loves or not, but it's very hard for me to believe that God looks upon people who, who uh, massacre other human beings, I love you. It's just, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't even think it's a good idea. If you think your spouse will love you no matter how you act, you're not going to act as well. And there's a lot here to process and to unpack. But here's some things that I think, to me, there's some normal thought process. Now, now let me put this as a disclaimer so that we can understand. Dennis Prager's not a Christian. Um, he likes Christians, but he does not like Jesus, and he doesn't like the idea of Jesus. He's a very dedicated, practicing Jew, very strong in his biblical faith. In fact, uh, some of his stuff on the Pentateuch and the, the, the um, Ten Commandments are very, very solid. I like his, his writings on those and his videos and stuff. But, but he does not have a relationship with Jesus, and he does not understand that and doesn't desire a relationship with Jesus. And that's a, that's a very important starting point with this. The idea of unconditional love, and he's saying he doesn't believe it's a biblical concept. Um, well, he, here's, here's one of the... the Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. Genesis 3, God comes back to the garden to visit with Adam and Eve to bring them grace. To keep them from the fullness of his wrath, which is what they deserved. Now see, the way that Dennis is looking at this is the reason that God would love somebody is directly in relationship to what they've done or not done. It's according to how they're looking at uh, life? Have they treated people well? Have they done the right things or have they done the wrong thing? Well, here's the thing. The whole Bible disagrees with what he just said there. Because Adam and Eve, how many good things did they do in the garden? 
We don't know. We know he did quite a bit because Adam named all the animals. That was pretty good. How many good things did they stack up on their side? If this is a balanced thing, how much good did they stack up on their, on their side? And then they sin once and everything's over? Is that, is that really how God looks at us? That, that he, they had a bunch of good, but that one nullified all the good? That's, that's not really, that's the way we process it sometimes, but that's not what God is saying here. God is saying, I, this is about relationship. Are you, are you connected with me? Or are you going to be obedient to me? Because obedience flows out of relationship. Obedience flows out of love. Right? We don't understand that. And it's, it's the breaking of that relationship that, that ruined everything for humanity. And then God still brings grace and mercy. He doesn't just destroy them and start over. Genesis 3, when God comes back to the garden and walks in the garden like he does in the cool of the evening, that was a grace moment. What is that built upon? That is built upon the fact that he unconditionally loves us. It's not built on condition. If it was built on condition, he was done with humanity right there. And then how many story after story after story through the Bible where God comes back to humanity, comes back, and he gives grace, and he gives mercy, and you have that another chance we as human beings are still here that is that is a that is another chance at nauseam over over and over one of the concepts that that um dennis is struggling here with is he's trying to analyze this idea of love from a human reasoning point of view and he's trying to analyze unconditional love which by the way i don't believe humans have the ability to do I think we can love a lot, and I think we can get fairly close. But I don't think human beings have, have the ability to love unconditionally. God did. God is. We're going to see that in Scripture here in just a minute. God is love. He doesn't just love. In fact, I don't even think that's the right way to say it. I don't think God loves. I think he is love. This is the same way when we say statements like, um, <clears throat> God cannot lie. This, this is, this is a, a, a crazy statement. Because even, even by saying that, and I know that's a scriptural context, but even by saying it, we're, we're bringing that down to limited human understanding even by verbalizing that statement, right? God cannot lie. What we do, the way our brains process that statement is God cannot tell a lie because he is moral and therefore his morality, his holiness will not let him lie. I don't believe that's the basis for that statement, I believe the reason that God cannot lie is because when Jesus, the word, speaks, it is. So if Jesus says, now this is, let me, let me take you down the way my brain thinks, because this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, okay? If Jesus says, the sky is purple, it will immediately be, and that will be the, the reference for all of us as the absolute, so, so the way I'm saying it is, if, if you're not careful, what you'll hear is, when Jesus says the sky is purple, we look outside and now it's purple, and we go, oh, Jesus changed it from blue to purple. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, Jesus says the sky is purple, and that becomes our reality in such a way we know no other reality. Are you following why this keeps me up at night? How many times has it happened already? Okay. Somebody like, oh, you just ruined my day, right? This, Dennis is trying to see this from a human point of view. See, see another thing that Dennis is doing is he con 
he's bringing this in context of religion. He talks about how the more uh, we became, the, the less religious we became, the more we, the more we understood uh, or verbalized this idea of, uh, of unconditional love. Here's my argument with that. It took us breaking the, some of the strongholds of religion at the late 1800s, early 1900s, that was called the modern Pentecostal outpouring to get us to really have our hearts softened by the Holy Spirit and begin to understand love again. The church had gotten so locked up in itself and so bureaucratic and so anti anything of God. We talked of God, but we weren't about God. And then the Holy Spirit breathed himself across our existence and life began to change. And all of a sudden we cared about lost people around the world. You you see the, the parallel there? And we begin to send missionaries like crazy across the planet. Why? Because we began to understand unconditional love. If if you don't understand that Jesus gave himself completely for us, you can't understand unconditional love. And by the way, I don't understand unconditional love, but I embrace it. That's the biggest thing. I don't understand the Trinity. I embrace it. These, These are faith things, but I do know this. I have experienced his love. And I do know that it's unconditional because I, I don't, I've never been a mass murderer, but I haven't been the good guy. There, there, are, there are times when I've walked so far from God, but God still loved me. Scripture says that God will never, that nothing will ever separate us from God's love. That doesn't mean there's not accountability when it comes to relationship. See, this is part of the thing that we struggle with when it comes to the concept of love, unconditional God's love, is <clears throat> that God loves us no matter what. Our relationship with God is dependent upon us, our choice. His love for us is dependent completely on him. I choose whether I'm going to serve him. I can push him away tomorrow, walk away, and never have anything to do with God again. God's not going to make me. He's not going to make me serve him. Jesus is not going to make me marry him. That that didn't even go together. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love me completely. Constantly, completely. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. When you're you're talking about love, John's John's the guy to start with, right? John is Mr. Sensitive. Um, He is, there's a reason why he wrote the books he wrote. Remember John's nickname that he gave himself in his gospel? The, the, The disciple that Jesus loved. Now here's the thing. I think there's two ways to look at this. One is, you know, the, the other disciples, years later, John finally writes this, and, um, and they're opening up, and they're like, John, this is really good. What? You're the disciple Jesus loved? That's one way to look at it. I don't think that's what John was saying, and I don't think that's the way they would look at it. I don't think John was saying, Jesus loves me to the exclusion of somebody else. I think what John was saying is, you want to know how to define me? It's not all the stuff I've done. It's not, it's not all the things. It's not me writing this book. It's not being one of the apostles. None of that kind of stuff. You know how to define me? I want to be known as the guy Jesus loved. And I think when the disciples begin to read his, his um, gospel the very first time, I think that's what they thought too. Yeah, I'm that guy also. Now, John didn't specifically mention me in that book, but I'm that guy too. Right? Don't you want to be known as that guy? Think, think about this. If, if you could have a qualifier, and this is where I, this, I really process this stuff on a, on a regular basis, is how does God see me in relationship to how the world sees me? And am I really trying to attain to stuff that the world would find 
good or pleasing or, or acceptable or whatever, or am I really trying to attain to the stuff that is important to God? And, and is that really, and, and, and by the way, I'm not saying that like, yeah, I've got it all figured out. I don't. That's why I process it, because I'm constantly realizing, no, I don't have that figured out. I'm not doing well with that. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking for um, human um, accolades and, and all this stuff, right? What we would put into the category of, I want the world's love. And guys, it doesn't take you very long at all to be alive on this planet to realize that the world's love is not real. There's nothing to it. It's, it's fake. It's, it's smoke. But God's love is transcendent. It's absolutely amazing. So John writes this, and he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. I, I believe that in a general sense, that if you understand love, I mean, if you can love, if you have been loved and you know how to love, that's a God thing. That's not a human thing. And that's not just Christians, by the way. I think God puts that within all of us. Um, his, remember, all people are created in the image of God, and we're given the, the, our attributes come from God. And so the idea that we could love somebody is a God thing. It's not a human thing. That's not, have you ever processed that? Just, just try to define it. Just try to define it and then define it properly to somebody else. First, try to define it to yourself. You can't. You know, it's that category that says, I, I, don't, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. Right? Yes, that was said about pornography the first time. But I'm saying this about love. Um, I, I can't explain love, but I, I know when I'm experiencing it. I know when, when, when I'm being loved and I can sense that, I can feel that. But see, in today's society, we've taken this and we've so perverted it and twisted it that we really think the idea, of, we've turned love into sexuality. And, and the sad part is, is it's not. Love is a, is a part, uh, sexuality is a part of love and it's a part of intimacy. In fact, intimacy is the very biggest part of sexuality. And, and sex, sexuality, comes from intimacy, which is built upon relationship. Th this is why Satan plays with our society so much. He has convinced us that if we can have a hookup, that somehow that is, that is going to um, placate that desire in our existence that, we, that God puts there that we want to be loved. And we've convinced ourselves of that. And then we wonder why our life is so messed up when we're not doing this the, the way that God has designed. In fact, <clears throat> I, I could prove this if, if I could display everybody's actual thoughts in this room, like on a screen, one at a time. Go this. I know this to be true. There's, certain, there's two basic things that I've found over the years. That uh, sex outside of marriage actually hinders the concept of loving and commi committing to human beings. In fact, it actually changes the way you look at people. Okay? Sex outside of marriage cheapens this idea of love and, and tears apart the idea of intimacy or the understanding of intimacy. That's the first thing. And, and if you really want to be, if you're specifically younger people, pay attention. If you're really wanting to be in a relationship with somebody and be married to them someday, best way to mess that up is go outside of God's plan and have sex outside of marriage. You, you'll, you'll mess it up. And you say, well, <clears throat> I, know, I know statistically how this works in this room. A lot of people have sex before they get married, specifically to the person they're going to marry. 
That's why when I'm, when I'm doing pre-married counseling, I tell the couple, okay, the last two or three months, focus, focus, because you know you're getting married, and you know you're marrying them, and you will say, well, you know, we're getting married anyway. But it's still something that Satan's trying to do to manipulate you, because here's the other half of the same coin. Sex outside of marriage, even to the person you end up marrying, hinders that, that intimacy and that concept of love into the future of that marriage. There are things that you're going to have to deal with that are manipulations by Satan, and even within your own context, I don't, there's even chemical issues and all kinds of stuff that, that goes on in how God's designed us that are unhealthy for your future being married to this person. Don't mess it up. I know, I know your, your body says, but I need this. But you can wait. And it's so much more amazing if you do. Because why? God created this thing. And he created the concept of intimacy, commitment, love, connection, all that stuff. And he brings it to fruition in the physicality of sexuality. We're the ones who mess it up and twist it and pervert it. And we tell ourselves that's what love is. Love is sex. Or puppy dogs. Depending on which who you are. <clears throat> Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And by the way, that is mentioned in Genesis 3. He talks about that in Genesis 3. That's why I really believe, that, I've said this before, I think that's the thesis statement of the Bible. But I also think it's a major... Um, commitment, uh, connection, love relationship that God wants us to know begins then that he's sending Jesus to fix all this for us. And the other side of it is, this is a Trinitarian process thinking, that Jesus also commits to this, but they are the exact same thing. Jesus is love, just like God is love. God says, Jesus, go to um, put on human flesh. And Jesus says, okay, I'll do that. I don't know how the separation part works any more than I know how the cooperation part works. But we do know that the whole thing is built upon God loving us. That God loves us, so, so he sends Jesus. So that we could have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that's the part where Dennis is struggling with. He can't understand the God loving us part. He just doesn't get it. God loves us so much that he was willing to give whatever it took for us to, to have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. He loves us completely. This has nothing to do with what you've done or not done. Jesus, it's scripture says Jesus died on the cross while we were still sinners. You hadn't done the good stuff. Jesus dies on the cross for you because why? He loves you. Not because you've done good, but because he loves you. See, this is something that's sometimes difficult to process. Jesus dies on the cross for the mass murderer, too. And that's where we struggle with this a little bit, right? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And this, this, is, this is another thing that we, I think we process, we struggle with this. I, I've heard this said different times in different ways, that, that the reason we're on this earth is so that we can worship God. I don't think that's a true statement. 
I think you've missed something when, when you're thinking about it like that. God's created angels to worship him. And you say, well, yeah, but we're people. We have, we have free will. We have, and God wants people with free will to worship him and to serve him. Okay, but, but here's where I think that the next step is actually the truth. We're not put here to worship God. We're put here to serve God, to surrender to God, to glorify God. This is, this is where we get in, into the, the problem is, if you take this, we are put here to worship God far enough, then you can build a church mentality where all you do is come to church and worship and sing songs together in a church and never truly surrender and serve God in obedience with the lost out in society. Right? So we're not put here to worship God. That's one of the benefits we get along the way. That's one of the great things. To me, this is the way I look at it. It's like, God, I, I've shown some of these pictures before at different times, but there's this picture that I, that I have on my computer that comes up on my screensaver regularly, and it's this, and it's this nebula that God created out in the, in the, uh, in the galaxy out there. And it, the nebula is, is uh, 7 trillion miles long. Beautiful thing with the stars all behind, all this other stuff. And, and, and I always think about this, that if... That if See, we think that God needs us or that God needs our worship or that God needs our love. When we think like that, we've missed the whole thing. It's like God creates this nebula and then he turns around to us and he's like, do you like it? Do you like it? And it's dependent that God is dependent upon us liking it. Like we go, pretty good, God. Yes. All right. They love me. Guys. Us loving God back and being loved by God is a privilege. It's not something that, that makes God better or stronger or whatever the case is. See, this is the amazing thing about God. God loves us because he is love. He, he is in love with us deeply because he is love. Not because of us specifically, although this is the part that blows my mind. He specifically loves me. Me. Because why? Because he's love. And he creates the stuff because he loves us. He makes life and all the different things that can be beautiful and wonderful in life because he loves us. He doesn't have to do that stuff, but he does it. I, 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 I say this all the time, and, and people think I'm joking when I say it. I'm not joking. When I pray for my food, oftentimes I will pray, God, thank you for making food taste good. Because he didn't have to. And he didn't have to give me a wife that makes it taste amazing good. I could have married one of you. <laughs> oh, that felt good when I said that. <laughs> you know, God didn't have to do a lot of things. God didn't have to, to make smells that are wonderful. We know that because some are not, right? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever just been... been we were walking the other day, Lynn and I, and she said, oh, what is that? And we were walking by this big honeysuckle bush. I love the smell of honeysuckle. And that's a thing out in creation. And it's so amazing. And then looking at it, it's beautiful. And God does that because he loves us. He is, the, he is the amazing one, and he can do all that kind of stuff. And he does stuff. You say, well, yeah, but he does it because he enjoys creating. Okay, then why does it, why does it interact with us that way? If he just enjoys creating, then the smell would be for him, not us. But I get to smell it. I get to see it. 
I get to experience it. I get to, I get to, to know things and understand things, and I get to be loved, and I get to love. This, I think this is huge for us. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's that's amazing. That's powerful. God sent Jesus. You know, this this is part of the deal with loving. And two, two things that have always processed in my life. One of the one of the the statements that Dennis made, which, which really bothered me as, as much as all of it. All of it bothered me because it hurt me for him. He's missing out on something amazing. When, he, when, when, he, when he's bringing God into his existence and saying, this is how I perceive love. Now, God is related to that. I, he extrapolates that onto God and says, now, God loves this way or doesn't according to the way Dennis thinks. That's sad because Dennis is a human. He's limited. God's unlimited. And then he says, I don't want my wife to um, have unconditional love. You'll treat your wife differently if she has unconditional love. He means more in a negative sense. I believe the more that you understand love from a spouse, the more it uh, gives you the ability to treat them better. Scripture says that it's the kindness of God that leads me to repentance, not, not some fear of hell or something else. One of the things that God has done deeply in my life, when I, <clears throat> when I was, when Lynn and I first got married at that time frame of my life, I was really, God was doing a lot of stuff with me. And one of those things is he was teaching me to be loved by God and teaching me to love. I really struggled in those areas. In, in huge ways, I struggled. Um, loving God and being loved. And, um, and Linda, the Holy Spirit, through Linda, taught me as much about love as any, anything else in life. She, she has as, as close to an unconditional love as I could possibly see. I don't, I don't know how, even how to process that to where it comes out as strong as I feel it. Linda just loves me. And that sometimes that boggles my mind, right? Sometimes you feel like you're it, right? You're like, yeah, she loves me because look at this. But... But then other times you, you realize who you really are and you come face to face with that person and you're thinking, how does anybody love me, specifically my spouse? And it's her love for me as close to unconditional as I've ever experienced that she just loves me. And she, through the, through the, she has been a tool of the Holy Spirit teaching me to love and to be loved in ways that I really can't even verbalize. It's... But see, this is the thing is God, God needs you to know this stuff and he's going to put people in circumstances in your life to make it happen. He needs you to know he loves you. He needs you to know that, he, that everything about this is because he loves you. Why? Because he is love. He doesn't love. He is love. So because he is love, how can he interact with any human and not have unconditional love? Because he is. I think, I think we're following along with that. You know, this is another thing in, in, in relationship to, to relationships and family and stuff like that. I, I tell my kids often I, I love them and um, I'm proud of them, that kind of thing. And here's the cool thing, and I think some of you experienced this. When your kids start getting married, you got more kids, right? 
I know with Amanda sitting over here, I don't see Amanda as my daughter-in-law. She married into this thing. She's one of the kids now, which means she gets the full kid treatment, right? <laughs> some good, some not. It's, it's how it goes, sorry. But I love my kids, and I try to tell them I love them, I'm proud of them, and this kind of stuff. And I've got one of, my, one of my three children that has struggled with that at different times, this being proud. And, um, and he has said to me, that narrows it down, he has said to me, this was not recently, this was a while back, and he said to me one time, he said, Dad, I, I, I haven't done anything for you to be proud of me about. Now, now, parents, really? You don't have to do something. You don't have to do something or not do something for me to be proud of you. You're, you're my kid. Dennis actually says, I didn't show this part, but he says this. He said, Parents, are you telling me you love your, your child unconditionally, no matter who they are? You don't. I'm like, no, Dennis, you're wrong. I do. doesn't mean I like all the things that my kids have done over the years. I believe in spanking. I've spanked my kids for things I didn't like. That doesn't mean I didn't love them. I, 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 I am proud of my kids. Not depending on what they do or not do. It's because they're my kids. And he literally said in there, he said, if one of your children kills the other child, you won't love that child anymore. I'm like, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to dislike what they did and even dislike them. But my heart is still fastened to them forever. Right? God holds us accountable. There are times when we are not pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't mean he loves us less. And there are times when we reject him. Think about this. There are people that he's done everything for, and they reject him all the way to the point of this life being over, and they do not have relationship with him. But he doesn't love them any less. They just chose not to spend eternity with him. How much do you think that hurts him? I literally have thought through this, specifically when my kids were little, but I, I don't know exactly how to verbalize this, but I think if God said to me, Scott, you've got to go to hell, but it guarantees all three of your children to go to heaven. I mean, I don't want to spend eternity in hell, but I don't want my kids to, I think, more than I don't want me to. Right? Now, none of you fall in that category. But my kids, and now I've got grandkids, and I'm like, but God, couldn't you kill one of my kids so that they could go to heaven? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's true. I get it. I, get it. <laughs> I look at this. We know, verse 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That's, that's the best answer to pretty much anything you're dealing with. You're struggling with, um, you're struggling in your marriage? Start loving God more. Start pursuing God more as an individual and as a couple. Pursue God. Why? Because love grows more perfect as you pursue God. You're struggling in a relationship with your children? Start loving God more. Start pursuing God more. You say, well, I can't change them. You can't. But, 
But your love still grows more perfect in the process. And love is, a, is the most powerful thing that God has created. Pursue God more. And, and you'll be amazed at how that love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the judgment day. But when we face him, we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. I, I've said this quite a bit over the last couple of years, year and a half, but part of the way that Satan is going to try to control us is through fear. That's the whole COVID pandemic thing. He's trying to control us through fear. You know how you combat fear? Not by getting vaccines, but by pursuing God. Pursuing God. Here, let me, let me help you out with the whole fear and vaccine thing. A lot of people got vaccines because they were afraid of, of getting sick and dying. Okay, but now there's five more new strains. So, and over 60% of all the people that get vaccines get COVID. So you didn't combat fear. And the same people that have been afraid are going to be the same people being afraid. You know how you expel fear? You get close to the Lord. You get up under, it's not, Psalms 91 says you get up under his wings and he covers you. And then his truth becomes your shield and your sword. And then later, down in, in Psalms 91, it says a thousand will fall at your side, a ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't happen to you. Because why? You're under his covering. And not to be afraid of. He loves you, and you're going to do the best you can to reciprocate. That's how you expel fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. This shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If you're worried, if you're worried about going to hell, and I've struggled with this, specific, I'm saying years ago I struggled with this. The, the reason that I was struggling with the idea of going to hell is because I didn't have a relationship with God. I had a religion, and I had prayed to get saved. Those are two different things. That prayer to get saved doesn't keep strength in your spirit. It's when you love him and you're being loved by him that you don't worry about hell anymore. That's when that happens. We love each other because he loved us first. <clears throat> if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? <clears throat> I want to go back up to verse 13. Now, let me, let me finish this and I'll go back up there. As he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. This is one of the things that, that, that I think we've struggled with in the church. I know growing up, I saw this all my life, was um, people that say they love God, but they can't stand the other people. They can't get along with people first just starting in the church where we're all supposed to be about love and we can't get along with people just sitting in the same room much less the lost and everybody else and family members and everything else but we say we love God and he says if you say that you love God but you hate a, another person specifically another Christian you're lying John said that that's pretty strong it's really hard to argue with that statement he says <clears throat> Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he is in us. Furthermore, we have seen him with our own eyes and now testify that God sent his son to be the savior of this world. Now look at this. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. So I think one of the things with truly loving God, see, uh, John 1 verse 14 says, that Jesus came so that we could glorify God. That, that Jesus came so he could glorify God. And, and we're supposed to have that same mentality. 
this is one of the things that I think we miss when it comes to understanding that how can we say we love God if we don't love the people around us? We have built a Christianity that is all about pursuing God and, but not loving people. So to me, I don't think you're really pursuing God. Because if you're pursuing God, the closer you get to God, the more you care about lost people. You spend a few hours just on your face before God, and when you get up from that, you'll care about people a whole lot more. In fact, you'll probably be convicted to go apologize to some people. Make some things right. But we say, well, I'm pursuing God and I love God. Except God created every human being and loves them unconditionally. And if we say we love him, shouldn't we be loving those people? The people that he created. I think, I think we know this. Guys, this is where we have to say, well, what do I do about that? You pursue God. You get in close to God. You get as close as you can to him and you spend time. We can't do this five or ten minutes of prayer a day, if that much, and expect it to really to be this deepening burden of relationship that's growing in us from God. You can't just wave at him as you drive by and have this, this deep, connected relationship with God that, that flows into every single area of your life. You've got to pursue him. You've got to get in close to him. Why? Because he loves you so completely, and he just wants you to experience some of it. But, but we like to have casual relationship with God. And he wants you. He wants everything about you. He wants to love you so much. But if you're basing this on all the same reasons Dennis is, religion, whether you've done good things or bad things, whether, whether this is a, a, a biblically constituted thing, this is the thing that gets me is it's all through the Bible. Here's, here's, let me give you the biggest clue that I have that God loves me. There's a Bible. He didn't have to give us the Bible. And then all the stories in the Bible are continuously declaring that God loves us. The Ten Commandments start off with, I'm a jealous God. Don't love anybody else but me. Why? Because he loves us. Think about this. So the first thing, God loves me unconditionally. Completely. The second thing, the cross is proof of this. I think there's lots of proofs throughout Scripture. But the cross undeniably is proof. He, he loves me. Why would Jesus die if he didn't love me? And if he didn't love me unconditionally? And the third thing, serving Jesus and telling others about him is returning my love. That's how, that's how I love Jesus back. Not by saying it, but by being it. I love you, Jesus. How, how does he know that? Because you're doing what he's asked you to do. And that's also what John says. If you say you love you, uh, James says this, if, if you say you love him but you don't do what he says, you're, you don't love him. Both James and John both talk about that. And we just kind of forget that in American Christianity. We just kind of push it off to the side. I can go to church some, I can live my own life, I can do all my own stuff. I don't have to be obedient. Oh, God, I love you. Really? Let's, let's serve him. Let's commit to him completely. So I want to finish it with 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> the, the three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith will be forever. Why? Because we always have to have faith 
in God. That never goes away. Even when we step into eternity, we have to trust God. That never stops. Things like the gifts of the Spirit will go away once Jesus, once we're united with Jesus. Because you don't need healing, right? You don't need the gift of healing when you're with Jesus. You don't need the gift of discernment. He's telling you stuff. You don't need to discern. He'll tell you. But you're going to need faith in God forever. And then we have hope. Hope with God. That we are walking with Him. That our that our future is in Him. That doesn't change when we step into eternity. Right now our hope is in Him that He's going to come back and get us. Once He comes back and get us, our hope remains with Him for eternity. And then this is the third one. Love from God. And when you really think about it, yeah, that's the greatest. I think we get that. That's the greatest. I just want to be loved by Him. And, and I want the opportunity to love him back as much as possible. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I want to I finish this praying a little bit. Um, I want to do this. We did this a, a few months back, and I enjoyed it. I know that um, some of you enjoyed it too, but I, I, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to wait a minute, and anybody in here that wants to pray for us uh, pray for yourself, pray for the body or whatever. Focus in on loving God, have, teaching, having him teach you how to love him, being loved by him, that, that kind of thing, loving people. Focus in on that. Let's keep it limited to that. But just, just pray out loud for the rest of us. And, um, and then after a little bit, I'll finish by um, closing us with prayer, okay? So don't be nervous about it. Don't, be, don't worry about what people are thinking about how you pray. Just pray. Just pray out loud and then wait for that person to finish. Don't pray over somebody. Um, and then the next person can pray as you want, right? And, uh, and then we'll, we'll close it here in just a little bit. Lord, we ask you to just open our hearts up for your love. You are absolutely amazing, God. Your love is amazing. Your love is so big. Your love is, I believe, truly unconditional. Jesus, we're amazed. We're amazed because you're so awesome. Lord, I'm also amazed that you let us love you back. I bet that one doesn't quite make sense to me. But Lord, in all of our brokenness, all of the messed upness that we are, you enjoy when we talk to you. God, thank you for this. Fill us with your spirit this morning. Cover us with your blood and let us sense, let us feel your love this morning. And more importantly, let us know it in our spirit by faith.
Jesus, we want to tell you this morning that we love you. Lord, we just love you. Lord, I know it's imperfect, and your love is perfect. Lord, teach me how to love you more. Teach me how to love you deeply from my spirit, my mind, my existence. I want to love you. Lord, teach me how to be loved by you. Teach me how truly know, first you love me, but Lord, teach me how to let that happen. God, I pray that for every one of us in here. Lord, we love you. We love you. And we don't want to just move through this without telling you that. Lord, thank you for loving us. Lord, help us to love the people around us. Help us to love our co-workers. Help us to love them to you, not just love them, but biblically love them to you. Love them in truth. Love them regardless of the sin, but Lord, also hate that sin enough that we love them the way you want us to. Lord, help us to love our neighbors, our family. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray as a church that our our church will be built upon your love, your grace. Not be built upon what we're doing here in our services and all that kind of stuff. But Lord, just truly built upon you. And that, that you love us, we love you. We want to be people of grace. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to love somebody so much that you'll tell them about him. So take that opportunity and God will, God will truly um, 
acknowledge that, and, and I think if you'll do that, I think God will show you some things about love that may surprise you, just loving somebody else. We do have prayer tomorrow night. We want as many of you here with us as possible just to pray for our church and pray for what God is doing and our community and those kind of things. So shake somebody's hand and tell them that you love them, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you tomorrow night. Have a great rest of your day.